Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek all new observations and data. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast for the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I am Tim Robertson, your host of this podcast, and also the coordinator of the training program within the organization. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, the moon, the planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available to the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomena and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers also lovingly known as the Australian Astronomer. The Association of Lunar Planetary Observers maintains many individual observing sections and programs devoted to the studies of the solar system bodies and phenomenon. Each is managed by one or more coordinators that collect and study submitted observations. You can visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.com Org. That again, www.alpo-astronomy.org. Now, on to the Observer's Notebook. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. This is a special edition of the podcast. We're going to talk about the great solar eclipse of 2017. So our guest today is the great Mike Reynolds, the executive director of the ALPO. He's also in charge of the eclipse section uh, in the organization. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah. I understand you even have an asteroid named after yourself. Uh, either that or hemorrhoid. I forget which one it is, but well, one well, of those. <laughs> hopefully it's an asteroid. That's painful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Why don't you give everybody a little background about yourself? Well, I am a, a, an astronomer from a long time ago. I got interested when I was a kid. Went to my first ALPO meeting in 1970 and met Walter Hawes and so many of the other, John Westfall and so many of the other ALPO members at the time, Julius Benton. You know, I just have really fond memories of that and really was attracted to planetary astronomy all along. Uh, went to college, got a bachelor's degree, master's, and ended up at the University of Florida working on my doctorate. And my focus was um, cratering and solar system minor bodies, asteroids, meteoroids, meteorites that strike Earth in particular at that time. So uh, this has always been my background. I've been very interested, though, in... Doing a lot of outreach and formal, informal education. I um, did a gig with a science center at Chabot Space and Science Center for about 12 years. It was a terrific opportunity to share with the public and then found myself back in the classroom. I'm teaching college astronomy about 10 years ago. So I'm now a college professor and um, love introducing students to the universe or even taking them further than that with some of my students who are a little bit more advanced. Okay. So. It's just just a fun thing, and eclipses 
has always been one of my major things. I saw my first total solar eclipse March 7th, 1970, and 18 eclipses later, I'm still going at it. 18 eclipses, huh? Yes, sir, 18. Wow, that's that's quite an accomplishment. You travel all over the world, obviously, to see this. Yes, yes. And, you know, the, the fun thing about eclipse chasing is you do get a chance to um, see some really fabulous places and meet some new folks, and there's a kind of a kindred spirit to us umbrophiles <laughs> who like spending that time under the shadow. Yeah, I've, I've seen one total solar eclipse. I was in Montana back, I think it was the 70s or 80s, and and I saw the annular eclipse that was visible here in California a year or two ago. So that's, right. that's my limit of solar total solar eclipses. Um, how did you get involved with the ALPO? Well, I think it really does date back to that very first meeting I went to in Memphis, Tennessee in 1970. You know, I had a lot of interest in, in planetary astronomy, yeah, I, I like the deep sky stuff, but as a as a teenager, I really seemed to be attracted to, you know, Mars was a great apparition that that period of time, and it just seemed to be something I really enjoyed. So that's how I got involved with ALP all the way back to 1970. Wow, what type of observing equipment do you have? Well, it depends on what I'm going to observe. Okay. Um, I have my special eclipse equipment, which are um, apochromatic refractors. I, I really enjoy using the Explore Apos because they give me really, really good images when I when I go to photograph or image the eclipse. Um, for my planetary stuff, I use obviously long focal length instruments. I have a I have a Mi 14 inch, and I have a couple of homebrew. Um, like I have this, believe it or not, 10 inch f11, which is oh incredible goodness. for the planets, but it's it's like a cannon. Wow, it looks yeah. like a cannon. So it just depends on you know. What my what my what I'm observing for the night, whether it's lunar observing or whatever, and what I'm imaging, if I'm just observing, really depends what I'm up to. Okay. So the so you said you've seen what eighteen total solar eclipses. Eighteen. Yeah. What are they all the same? No, no, not even close. People often say, "Why do you chase all these eclipses? Aren't they all the same?" And they're not. It's everything from. The appearance of the sky, what planets and stars are visible, how the corona appears, um, the colors around the horizon, do you see shadow bands or not, uh, what type of prominence do you see, it's just so many different things um, that, that make each eclipse almost like people, very, very different. And so to try to compare, you know, 1970 to 1973 to 1979, it just, it's, it's hard to do. So let's talk about the great total solar eclipse of 2017. What makes makes this one so special? Well, I think the number one thing is for those of us in the States, it's been since um, February 1979 that we have had a total solar eclipse pass over the United States. So it's been a long, dry spell for the States. And so people are going to get a chance to see this. In fact, there are estimates via NASA that 50 million people will see totality. We're not talking about the partial phase here. We're talking about totality, 50 million people. So, hey, you know, that's a lot of people we're going to expose um, astronomy to in a very short period of time. Yeah, and now that's live, right? That's not on the Internet. That's actually in the path. Those are eyes on the sky, live people. 50 million people will see this eclipse. That's amazing which is both good news and scary news because you think about 50 million people 
trying to converge on that center line, even though it does run from Oregon across the Midwest, out to sea, um, just north of Charleston, South Carolina. We're talking about 50 million people going to that line, that 70-mile wide line, you know, all the same day, same time. Well, now, you talk about the path. What uh-huh. what determines where you're going to go for the path? What do you look at? Well, you know, for me, in the past, it's always been a, a variety of factors. The number one factor has been, quite frankly, weather. Where do I have the best chance of catching the eclipse you know, under under clear skies. I mean, you want you know you want to be able to see the eclipse. Um, but there's been other factors too. Like, is it accessible? You know, some eclipses I've had to take a cruise ship to because it only runs over water. Um, or accessibility on land hasn't been very good. Um, you know, what are the dynamics? Like, for example, there's these eclipses called hybrids, and a hybrid, um, part of the eclipse is total but very brief. Part of the eclipse is annular on the on either end of the eclipse path itself. So you want to make sure you're in the right place at the right time. Oh. So there's a variety of factors, but I, I'll be honest, I think the number one thing is weather. You know, where do you have the best chance? Now, this one's a little different because um, I kind of see this as a great chance to do a lot of outreach. And so I'm joining my buddy Michael Bockage from Astronomy Magazine in um, Missouri, uh, where he's throwing a big big, big eclipse party, and um, it'll be in St. Joseph. They're closing down the airport there for the day, and they're expecting 100,000 people for this eclipse. My goodness. And to be able to share this with that many people, it's just going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm going to um, Madaris, Oregon, where I think it's two minutes, four seconds, something like that. And And I tried to book a hotel room there a year ago, and a day's in was already charging $600 a night for two nights. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. I've heard those nightmare stories. It was heard crazy. those nightmare stories. I'm actually paying $60 for a parking spot in a public park. She might be. Yeah, but they're doing a huge eclipse event and things like that, and I'm going up there because my, my grandkids are in Oregon, so I want to ex- have them. They're young, and I want to have, have them experience this event. So that's the reason. Well, see, that's the same, same thing. My wife and I are taking our grandkids and, um, you know, we want to expose them to the eclipse, too. We've taken our kids to the eclipses. They're grown up now. But, you know, it's one of these things that, hey, what a great opportunity for us to share with our kids or our grandkids, in your case or my case. Mm-hmm. Now, with, with the path, um, where does it, where does totality start in the United States? It starts in Oregon, as you just mentioned, and it travels towards the east. Um, starts at about 1,000 miles per hour and eventually picks up speed as moving across the states and goes out to sea after it passes over a number of cities. Casper, Wyoming's a, a very hot spot for a lot of people going to Astronomical Leagues, having their, their conference there. Um, goes across Nebraska, then starts clipping kind of the northern part of Missouri. Again, St. Joseph, just north of Kansas City, then kind of heads over towards the um, middle part of the state, um, Columbia, um, Missouri, uh, kind of into the suburbs of St. Louis, then cuts across the southern end of, of Illinois into Kentucky, then crosses Nashville, Tennessee. My goodness. Um, and so it's hitting a lot of major cities along the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. Um, Nashville, then clips a little bit of um, Georgia, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, uh, for example, passes um, very center lines very close to Greenville, South Carolina, then over Columbia, South Carolina, and then out to sea. 
um, at um, like a little bit north of Charleston. So it's a long path across the entire United States, and U.S. is the only place this time that sees totality. Now, how wide is the path? How close do you have to be to that line to be in totality? This is not like horseshoes. Close, close does not get you there. Okay. You do want to be within the center line, and that line, the width of the line is about 70 miles. Here's the only issue. If you get close to the edge, a northern or southern limit, as we call it, you get close to the edge, you start losing time of totality. Where you start talking about, like, where you're going or where I'm going, you know, we're talking about two minutes and 30 seconds, two minutes and 40 seconds on that center line. When you start heading north or south of that center line, then the amount of totality gets a little shorter, a little shorter. And so, you know, that's that's part of what you want to be, as close to that center line as you can get. Now, is two minutes and 30 seconds a long time for a total eclipse? Oh, well, if it's two minutes and 30 seconds, it'll seem like about 15 seconds once it's over with. That's what I'm afraid uh, of. Yeah, that's that's always the issue. They go so fast, and you think, that couldn't have been two minutes or two minutes and 30 seconds or two minutes and 40 seconds. The only eclipse I can ever remember really feeling long was uh, July 1991. We were south of Mexico City, and that was like way over six minutes. And it just seemed like that eclipse went on and on and on. It was wonderful. But, Tim, I've noticed even three-minute, three-and-a-half-minute, four-minute total solar eclipses seem like they're gone in a flash. Yeah. So how do you recommend someone spend their time? Who's his first-time eclipse observer, spend the time during totality. Number one, don't take pictures. Don't even try to take pictures. It'll frustrate you. And there are plenty of us who will be taking pictures that are more than happy to share them with you. What you should do is right before totality, say about five to ten minutes, look up and look for Venus. You'll see it maybe as much as ten minutes before totality, that second contact before totality. you start looking for other planets and stars. You'll start noticing towards the west. It looks a little dark, like almost like a thunderstorm. Maybe the temperature has started to drop a little bit because you will have cooling as that shadow passes across the Earth. Usually that cooling can be as much as 10, 15, 20 degrees even. I've really noticed a real temperature drop during totality. For me, I've also noticed that the wind kind of picks up out of the direction of the shadow. Hmm. So if it's coming like from the west, northwest, you'll notice there's like a breeze that picks up. Then you'll start seeing as less and less the sun is visible, you'll start noting that, hey, there's some colors at the horizon, kind of like a sunset. And as that shadow moves towards you, what will happen is those colors will wrap all the way around the horizon. I call it the sunset-sunrise effect. And it's just like you're seeing multiple sunsets and sunrises at the same time. Then you'll see that last little bit of the sun called the diamond ring. Absolutely spectacular. Then you're immersed in darkness. Now, it's not like, you know, really dark, dark darkness. I kind of think it's more like what you see darkness-wise with a full moon. Okay. So, you know, you'll notice it's dark, and uh, you'll look at the sun. Now, this is all I've done so far. It's all naked eye. Now, this is with telescope or binoculars. But as you look at the sun, you'll notice this beautiful crown, the corona around it. If you have binoculars... Great idea just to take the binoculars and look at the sun itself. Keep looking around the horizon, though. Go back and forth from looking at the horizon, the stars that are visible, um, the shadow, the darkness, all these sorts of things. And, by the way, you may notice right before 
right before that diamond ring, you might actually notice um, something we call shadow bands. These black and white bands that seem to run across the ground. It's when you have the last vestiges of the sun, you end up with a little bit of atmospheric interference, and it was really wonderful bands that run across the that, that can run across the ground. I've seen them maybe out of my 18 clips, may have seen them about seven or eight times. They're they're kind of rare. Uh, I wouldn't spend a ton of time looking for them, but some people enjoy doing that, so that's what they like to do. So your advice so then, is just basically sit back, relax, and enjoy the eclipse. And enjoy it. If you got a telescope, I wouldn't spend the entire time looking through the scope, but looking through the scope at totality. I'd look around the horizon, look at the colors, look at the planets or stars that are visible. You know, check the check the corona out again. Look at the prominences. Go back and forth between these things. That two and a half minutes will go very quickly. Then you'll notice that diamond ring, again, that appears on the opposite side from the first diamond ring, third contact, and you'll be saying, where's the next one? I'm ready to hit that next eclipse. Now, do you plan on doing photography during the eclipse? I am. I'm going to do photography. That's, that's, the, that's one thing I really enjoy is imaging the eclipse. And, um, you know, it's like everyone, I find that a challenge. But I will still, even imaging, I'll take time in that two and a half minutes to make sure I look around and see the shadow, I see the horizon colors, I you know look for planets and and stars and all that. It's not just imaging, though. I will take probably a couple hundred photographs in that two and a half minutes. Oh my goodness! So, Mike, you suggesting these eclipse glasses are probably the best things to use during the partial phases? Yeah, you need some sort of protection for your eyes. And again, it's not the eclipse that does the damage; it's the sun. You don't ever want to look, you know, directly at the sun or use any sort of unaided optical instrument, except when you're doing like a pinhole projection. These glasses from a number of reputable dealers um, are certified and have ISO standards. They have certain standards they have to meet, and they'll be absolutely fine, but only during the partial phases. As soon as you get to that second contact diamond ring, you'll want to take the glasses off. You don't need them at all during totality. And then when that third contact diamond ring comes back again on the opposite side of the sun from the second contact, you want to put the glasses back on. But, yeah, you need to have those glasses. And they're not expensive. Just try not to wait till the last minute because I'm sure, like everything else, um, prices will go up. But you can get them now at a very reasonable price. I believe the link you one of the links you sent me was uh, eclipseglasses.com. And that, that will definitely be added to our show notes. So if okay, anybody wants to good. buy glasses, they can just click there and go right to the site. Yeah, so there's a, whole, there's a bunch of sites you can go to to get those glasses. And again, you know, I've talked to a lot of these different um, Eclipse glass makers and dealers, and they're they're all terrific folk. Great, great. So do you watch the Eclipse from first contact all the way through to the end? or what, What's your oh, plan for this? Well, I do. I absolutely do watch it from, from the beginning to the end. I, I like to image the Eclipse during the partial phase is about every 10 minutes or so. Um, mainly it helps me make sure my focus is good and it gives me nice documentation to show people later about how the partial eclipse moves along till you get to totality. And during the partial phases you have opportunities to do things like image, um, you know, little, little pinhole projection type of images. You know, leaves make wonderful pinholes and then you can note, if you want to, things like the temperature changes. But, yes, I do observe the actual partial phases up to totality and beyond totality. Well, fantastic. Now, where 
you mentioned early on weather is a key factor for selecting your site. What are the optimum, in your view, this far out from the eclipse, the optimum weather locations for observing this eclipse? Well, it looks like that most of the United States has, you know, a very good shot at seeing totality. We are into the summer months, which means the southeast. You talk about those afternoon thunderstorms, probably Tennessee towards the east, um, more towards the Midwest. You start getting into um, western Missouri, Nebraska, on across as you move back towards Oregon, or actually I probably should say since the shadow is coming from Oregon proceeding east, you know, Oregon, you get into Montana, and you know, where you have just little bits and pieces of, of, of cities, little opportunities to observe the eclipse. So there's there's a lot of good good weather prospects. Uh, Jay Anderson um, does a great job of forecasting the eclipse and the possibility of clear skies and cloud cover. So, you know, you'll 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 also and this is something that's important to know. You'll also have very good weather forecasts the week before the eclipse. You know, we've gotten very good compared to where we used to be with with being able to predict. Uh, the quality and clearness of the sky, and so with the weather stations across the United States, I would suspect we'll we'll have um, a good opportunity to know probably several days in advance where it's likely not to be clear, or even better, likely to be clear. Have you ever been clouded out for one of your nope. eclipses? Nope, been close. Yeah, close, but never clouded out. You had Knock to, on have, wood. have you had to be mobile at the time of the eclipse where you can get up and go somewhere? Relatively well, close by. Well, let's see. Um, in 1973, we rented a plane and flew above the clouds. That's probably the, the closest thing to being mobile I've ever been. Though so there was a cruise eclipse we went on in 2005 in the Pacific. It was a hybrid, and the skies were completely overcast. The captain saw one hole in the sky, one one sucker hole, and maneuvered the ship very hard. Turned it around, and we we're sitting. The sun was sitting right in that hole during totality. Oh my goodness! And then afterwards, you clouded up and rained. Ugh. Wow. That's a lot of it is luck. I know when when observing eclipses, a lot of eclipse observers I've talked to have been clouded out, and but they recommend trying to be mobile too, where you can possibly go somewhere. I think it's going to be tougher to be mobile though for this eclipse, Tim, and the reason is quite frankly. There's going to be so many people on the road. Yeah. So my, my recommendation is, people, is look out two days in advance and see what the weather forecast looks like it's going to be. Okay. Then situate yourself from there. Okay. Have a backup site in mind. Now, if someone wanted to photograph the eclipse, I mean, they, right. they want to, don't want to listen to your recommendations on just sitting back and watching it. What do you recommend to photograph? What do you need to photograph, like, totality? Totality. Well, what I'll do is I'll send you a handout I've been using for talks I've been doing about imaging the eclipse. And basically, you know, people will try to image it with smartphones and point and shoots. You can get something, but not really great. You really need a DSLR and a telephoto lens of about 300 millimeters or greater or a telescope. Okay. Yeah, what I think I'm going to do is just sit back in my chair and Watch the eclipse and download photographs afterward from the internet. I think, I think that's the best plan, especially like we were talking about earlier, the fact that, you know, you're going to have your grandkids there. Yeah. You know, that's, that's something to, to share with them. And, 
you know, I'll be kind of doing the same thing, but I know I'll be clicking away too. So it's like you said that two minutes will sound feel like thirty seconds, and I completely believe it will. So when is the next total solar eclipse going to be visible in the U.S.? Well, that actually crosses United States, believe it or not, in twenty twenty four. Oh, it's this an eclipse that comes up through Mexico? It almost makes an X with this eclipse and the X where both eclipses happen to occur in um, southern Illinois. Um, there's a couple of cities in southern Illinois, including Carbondale, that will actually have both eclipses. Oh, that's, so per, that's really pretty rare, to, I'm sure. Oh, it, it's fairly rare, yes, absolutely. To get both eclipses within a period of seven years, that's that's pretty amazing. Now, what's the duration of totality for that one? That's over four minutes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's a, that'll be a nice eclipse. So I'm sure that's on your radar for a few oh, years. Oh, it's on it. Yeah. It's on it. Are you thinking about it? Yeah. Are there any, other, are there any yeah. other eclipses between this one and that one that you plan on attending? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. There's an eclipse in 2019. Um, yeah, we've already got them all kind of charted out. 2019, I think I'm going to go to South America to Chile for and observe it there on the West Coast right along the Pacific. It's kind of a nice sunset eclipse. I think the, the sun's like 12 degrees above the horizon, and you get this wonderful hourglass-shaped shadow and an eclipse like that. So anyway, that's my thoughts. I'm already thinking ahead to 2019, looked at hotels and wow. where I'd fly into and the whole bit. Well, it, it sounds like uh, once you see one eclipse, you want to see them all. <laughs> yeah, I think it, you do get the eclipse bug. Yeah. And, again, I've been very fortunate, I guess you can say, just fortunate and blessed, and I've seen 18 out of 18. But, again, you know, it's funny because some of these eclipse trips I've been on, you know, a husband will drag along his wife or a wife will drag along her husband or kids, and they're, you know, I'm not really into this. And then they'll see the eclipse, and they'll say, well, when's the next one? (laughs) And they get the bug. Yeah. I, I, I can see that happening. Yeah, that's... That's very true. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we uh, drop off? Well, I think the number one thing is make sure you don't try to overdo stuff during totality. If you've never seen one before, only seen a couple, just enjoy the eclipse. Don't try to do all these observations and imaging and such as that. Enjoy the eclipse. Be as mobile as you can. And again, I'm going to send you some um, some different you know, handouts I have on imaging and eclipse checklists and such as that that we can post that people can download and and, and use as kind of like a checklist. What do I need to take? Like, make sure you take your filters. You know, if you're leaving home, which most of us will be, do you have your prescription medicine with you? I mean, things like this that we sometimes just forget in the excitement of the moment. So I have some lists available people can, can consult. That sounds great. Now, with the... You're, you run the eclipse section for the ALPO. Are there observations that you are requesting people to submit? Yeah, I, in particular, we're interested in um, not only photographs, but descriptions. And photographic is sometimes the best of the shape of the corona and prominences. Um, we learn quite a bit still from coronal shapes during totality. So, yes, that would be of great, great use. And, in fact, in one of the upcoming journals, I'll talk about types of observations we need. With my next to last, or actually it's my last before the eclipse, um, article about the eclipse. Okay, and that's going to be in the journal. 
That's correct. Okay, so those listeners that are not yet members of the ALPO, you could join the ALPO for only $14 a year, and that's pretty darn cheap, if I think so, and you get a lot of information through it as well. Yeah, we'd love to have you as part of our group. That would be wonderful. All right, Mike. Well, how can everybody get a hold of you? Um, email is the best way, and my email address is m dot d dot reynolds r e y n o l d s at f s c j. That's Frank Sam Charlie Jack f s c j dot edu. Okay, are you on the Twitter or Facebook or anything where people could... I do have a, fa- I do have a Facebook, and it's Dr. Mike Reynolds. Dr. Mike Reynolds, okay. Well, Mike, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Glad to do so. All right, thank you very Clear much. Clear skies, everybody. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I really want to thank Dr. Mike Reynolds, the Executive Director of the ALPO, for coming on and giving us a good informative talk about the upcoming total solar eclipse of 2017. We upload new episodes of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I do appreciate it. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud. The link is in the show notes, and we're also available on Stitcher. This podcast is not self-sufficient. We depend on the donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. You can help support this podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give as little as a dollar a month. Every little bit helps. The cost for the online service of this podcast is $15 a month. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO and all the other information Mike talked about is in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at timrobertson56. You can find the ALPO on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. You can also find us on Facebook by searching APL, ALPO Astronomy. The ALPO is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, the moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, comets, and eclipses. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thank you for listening.